Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. for his love this morning. Anybody thankful for Jesus' love this morning? All right, we are this morning. We're grateful that we can lift one another up in our times of need. Miss Marge, uh, many of you know Miss Marge. She's the oldest uh, living member of our congregation. I think she's 83, 86, I don't know. She's been in the hospital this week, but she's doing much better and is supposed to come home tomorrow. So if you would just continue to lift her up in uh, prayer as she... Uh, continues to improve, and we just believe God's going to do that. Well, welcome uh, to Friend Day. Uh, this is the culmination of um, uh, the last month. We've been talking specifically about friendship, uh, but really in the overall scheme of things, this is the uh, much larger picture than that. Uh, today brings to close three months of uh, messages and preaching about relationships because we believe that we were never intended to do life alone. And so we've been battling uh, isolation. And so today is Friend Day. We have been talking about the value and the importance of friendship. We do know this. Uh, Jesus understood that value, that importance. We know that he wasn't friends with everybody. Uh, Jesus teaches us this, that we owe every person that we come into contact with, we owe them love, but we don't owe them access. Uh, access is reserved for friends. That's why Jesus, in his relationship with his own disciples, you can read about it in John chapter 15, he talks to them and he says, I'm not calling you servants anymore. I'm going to start calling you friends. And there's this progression that takes place in Jesus' life with his own disciples. Then he tells us why. He says, I'm going to call you friends because you've learned how to handle my business. Some of you are sitting next to friends today. The reason that you're, you're friends with them is they've learned to handle your business, the good business, the bad business, the, the, the clean business, the messy business. We're friends because we can handle one another's stuff. And that, that elevates us to friendship. We know this, that, that associates get our gift, but our friends get our lives. We, we share our life with one another because we're friends. So we're glad you're here on Friend Day. We've been establishing the different correct, uh, characteristics that are necessary in uh, important relationships and friendship in particular. If you don't have these characteristics, you need to be careful. You're not with the right people because you need to be with the right people. We said if you're going to be the friend that you need to be and if the people that you're pursuing in friendship are the people they are supposed to be, you've got to find someone that's a person of character. You don't need a character project as a friend. You need somebody that's already got character. You need to find, the second one was you need to find somebody that's honest. Ever been, ever tried to be friends with somebody that lies? Doesn't work very good, does it? Because you can't trust them. So you, know, you got to find somebody that's honest. And then last week we talked about the fact that you had to find someone who was reliable. They're always consistent. They always show up. They'll answer the phone when you call. They'll respond in your need. Amen. And so we need reliable folks. Well, in the 1990s, uh, Hollywood presented to us a group of six individuals that they portrayed as the people who understood friendship the best. Uh, they, they, they tried their very best to show us what real friends 
are like. And uh, as we've learned over the course of this particular series, uh, they did teach us some good lessons, but they also taught us some lessons that were just a little off and weren't right completely. And so we learned some good lessons, some bad lessons from Ross and Monica and Joey and Chandler and Rachel and Phoebe. And so this morning we're going to learn one last lesson, so watch this. Uh, friends understand and know the power of encouragement. Uh, in, in this particular clip, we see that power on display, although they use that power in less than an honest uh, manner. They understood that encouragement in, in and amongst friends is powerful. They literally push Ross 
to play in public. I didn't play the rest of the clip. The rest of the clip later in the show is he winds up at the coffee shop where they spend their time with people standing all around, and he plays his sound for the entire group of people, and they encourage him but uh, uh, to take this chance and to take this risk. The Bible very clearly states in Proverbs chapter 18 that our tongue is so powerful that it contains life and death. You never, in my opinion, I want to submit to you that you never see the power of life and death on display in any greater fashion than when it comes to friends. Stop and think about this a moment. When someone you don't know that has no relationship with you, uh, when they say something bad about you, it may sting, but their negative comment about you is not one of those comments that sends you to the house where you shut all the shades and turn off all the lights and pull the covers over your head and lie in a fetal position and it destroys your whole life. Why? Because they don't know you. They're not in relationship with you. And although their words may sting, it doesn't impact your life. Vice versa, if, if since you don't know them, if they say good things about you and in, um, encourage you at the same time because they don't know you, it doesn't cause you to necessarily want to take this huge risk and try things you've never tried because they don't really know me, so why would I listen to them push me into something I didn't really think about doing, right? So, but on the flip side, you let somebody that you're in relationship with, that you have intimate relationship with, a close friend, let them open up their mouths and say something negative about you and you overhear it. How many of you have ever experienced that where that one word, that one statement has such a negative impact on you that your whole day is ruined? Anybody? Just me. Uh, they say something critical about you and it ruins your entire week, your entire month, your whole year because they knew you. But here's the deal. When a friend opens up their mouth and they speak words of encouragement, I believe that that is one of the most powerful moments because what happens is, is their knowledge of me, they're intimate with me, they know me, is coupled with their belief in me. And so when they open up their mouths and they speak words of encouragement, their knowledge of me, their belief in me intertwines and is God-fused with power and it pushes me past my own failures, my own fears, my own doubts, my own hesitations. The, the power of that encouragement is God-used when a friend opens up their mouth and encourages me. I will try things and risk things and take chances that I would have never taken otherwise. It's the power of life and death. The background is this. After spending an enjoyable evening together, enjoying a meal, uh, just enjoying one another's company with his friends, in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus looks around on this group of men that he's invested three and a half years with and he's become intimate with and knows them and they know him. And in Matthew chapter 26, as the dinner is drawing to a close, he looks at one of his friends that he no longer calls servants, he calls friends. And he says to Peter that after, before daybreak, the rooster will crow three times. And before the rooster crows the third time, you will deny me three times. Remember that account? You remember what happens? Peter goes, oh, no, bro. We're tight. 
I mean, we're bros, Jesus. I, 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 listen, you can count on me. I will not deny you. I will not turn my back on you. We are friends, man. Don't you get it, Jesus? I got your back. I'm not going anywhere. And how many of you know the end of the story? Peter fails miserably. Do you remember? He's standing around a fire. And Jesus is about to be crucified, and the people standing around that fire recognize the fact that Peter's been with Jesus, and they begin to dialogue with him and accuse him of being a friend. And Peter is trying to protect himself rather than protect his friend. And so he, with a curse to emphasize just how serious I am, he denies ever knowing Jesus. And I can't prove this, but I think maybe, just maybe in my own imagination, that somehow, some way, Jesus was close enough and overheard what happened. And when the rooster crowed, the third time somehow some way I think Jesus looked up and Peter looked up and they made eye contact and devastation takes place in fact it was so bad that after he denies Christ the third time scripture says that Peter remember what Jesus had said and this is how it describes it it says and he wept devastation fortunately Jesus was a better friend than Peter. Because what takes place is uh, in, in Mark, this is going to be our text this morning, so if you want to turn there, in Mark chapter 16, two little scriptures here that show us the power of encouragement. Look, look what happens because we miss it. Uh, these ladies run to the tomb where Jesus was buried, unaware that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. They run to the tomb, and this is what happens. Listen to what takes place. They, 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 op- they, they walk into the open tomb, and, and here's the dialogue. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? Now listen, here it is. They instruct the ladies, but go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going to go ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Did, did you hear the push? Did you hear the words of encouragement? With two simple words, Peter comes to an understanding that a lifeline has been thrown to him. With two simple words that Jesus knows that he hasn't been disqualified because of a bad day. With two simple words, Peter discovers that he, even though he failed, he's not a failure. With two simple words, because they could have said to the women, go and tell his disciples and left it at that that's all encompassing but what takes place is knowing what Peter has done he's thrown a lifeline and the word come out go and tell his disciples and Peter he singles Peter out he singles him out. He calls him out in front of everybody else, over everybody else that he could have called. All the other disciples ran and in too. But he calls the, the, the disciple Peter out and, and says, go tell him. I, I, I need you to understand that when Peter denies Christ the third time, Scripture is abundantly clear that it devastated him. He goes out and weep, weeps uncontrollably. And now when these ladies run to the tomb... There's this lifeline of two words that are thrown out to Peter and it teaches us a truth. When you are looking for somebody to be friends with and when you are operating as a friend, you have got to find somebody that knows how to encourage. Why? Because encouragement dispels despair. 
It's a mouthful, but it's the truth. How many of you have ever been in a moment in your life where your life is overcome with despair and you're in pain and you're, you're, you feel like you're going down for the last time and nobody can bail you out, but a friend can come along and with just a couple of words, we can share life and it dispels all the despair. I was going to give up. I was going to quit. I was going to throw in the towel. I wasn't going to keep going. I wasn't even going to keep trying. But all of a sudden, a friend comes along and with just a few simple words, they they speak life and encouragement into me and despair dispels. Right? See, I, I, I just think this morning what I, I'm encouraging you to do is I think we need to single some people out. I think there are people in our lives that need to be encouraged. Encouragement literally causes us to believe the best about ourselves in the midst of our worst moment. A friend's encouragement pulls the very best out of us. You've got to have somebody in your life that in your worst moment, they they step up and they speak a word of encouragement into your life and pull the best out of you. You're better than that. Don't quit. Don't give up. There's more in you than that. There's destiny inside of you. There's purpose inside of you. Yes, you messed today up, but there is tomorrow. Don't give up. You've got to have somebody that will put an and and then add your name on the end of things. You say, well, two words. Can two words be that important? Did two words really matter that much? Can two words have that kind of impact on somebody? I would say to you that all you got to do is fast forward to what we as Pentecostals point to as the pinnacle day of our experience in Acts chapter 2. Because when you fast forward into Acts chapter 2, the power of the Holy Spirit falls on a group of men, these same friends that are gathered, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit rests upon them. And guess who takes center stage? Guess who runs at the right moment when the people's hearts are open to the gospel? Guess who grabs the microphone, even though they they didn't have microphones? Guess who steps up and grabs the microphone and with confidence declares that Jesus is Lord? And in a three-minute message, 3,000 people give their heart and lives to Jesus. Guess who? Guess who? It was that young man that was scared. It was that young man that was distancing. It was that one guy that was less than a best friend. It was Peter. And I believe it was in large part because Jesus dispelled all of his despair when he said, and Peter. The reason encouragement is so crucial as a characteristic to find in a friend and to exhibit as a friend is this. Encouragement produces courage. I want to say it a different way this morning. There's not blanks for you in your, uh, your, your little worship program there, but, but you can write it down because I think we need to remember this because it's so powerful and we don't use it enough. Encouragement encourages courage. Encouragement encourages courage. If you don't believe that, ask Ross. If you don't believe that, ask Peter. If you don't believe that, talk to the people around you and you will discover that when somebody that you're in relationship with encourages you, it literally pours courage into you. I would submit to you this morning that too many of us keep and allow our friends to remain discouraged. The word discouraged means literally means the absence of courage. And because we won't open up our mouth, all around us there's the, are these discouraged people. And I believe that it is time to intentionally open up our mouths and pour in massive doses of courage. We need to encourage 
one another. Push. We've got to push with our words. You aren't just to cause someone to feel good. That's flattery. When you look at somebody say, man, you're looking sweet today. Well, didn't I look sweet every day? Man, you're looking fine today. Don't I look fine every day? Man, you look, you're awesome today. Ain't I awesome every day? That's flattery. We need to move beyond flattery and we need to intentionally encourage one another and give each other courage. It's the power of life. Well, I don't know if you realize this or, or, or not, because for some reason, uh, in, in our present day environment, it seems to me that many of us have come to the conclusion that our spiritual gift is, uh, uh, is this particular one. We believe our spiritual gift is wet blanket. Uh, sorry, I've been looking through Scripture. I haven't found the gift of being a wet blanket anywhere listed in Scripture. Uh, some of you feel like your your spiritual gift is dream killer. I hadn't found that one either. There's a big long list of spiritual gifts in Corinthians, and it's not in there. I looked. It doesn't say dream killer anywhere in there. It, it doesn't say uh, criticizer. It doesn't say negative one. It doesn't list any of that. That is not our spiritual gift. All right, so we just need to get that up front because I need you to understand and recognize that we are literally appointed and anointed to encourage. We are anointed, appointed and anointed to encourage. All I have to do to discover that truth is this. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3 and in verse 13 it tells us about our appointment and our anointment. I don't know if, yeah, I guess anointment is a word, is it? Yeah, it is now. All right. Here it is. Listen to this. Listen to these instructions. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. So what the writer is literally saying to us is this. About every eight months, you probably ought to find somebody and encourage them because somebody might need it. I know you haven't said anything nice to them in eight months, but about once every eight and a half months, it's about time you beat them down long enough, so you probably need to encourage them. That's what the writer's saying. Maybe, maybe once every six weeks, you ought to probably take a moment, think about it, and say something nice to somebody and encourage them, right? That's what the writer's saying. No, the writer says every day. As long as it's called today, that means that if you lay your head down to rest at 11 p.m. and suddenly recognize that you haven't encouraged anybody, today you got to get up out of bed, get your phone, get your Facebook, get something, and speak a word of encouragement to everybody because you are appointed and you are anointed to encourage. That is our job. That is our role every day. He didn't say take Saturdays off, just be mean on Saturdays. He didn't say just be gripey on Mondays because everybody's gripey on Mondays. He didn't say wait till you get your coffee into your system and then you'll be okay. He says every day you should be looking for opportunities to encourage in a society that is filled with, with the negative full of tabloids with dirty stories and Facebook filled with accusations and rumors and the dirt and to see how critical we can be. We've got to understand as the children of God that we are on an assignment from God. We are appointed by God to to encourage people. And it's powerful because I didn't finish reading the verse. Let me show you how powerful and how necessary encouragement is. He says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. So, why? Why do we do this? So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 
Do you understand that what the writer is literally saying is that it is as you encourage the people around you that you enable them to beat sin? Wow. To stop and think that when you're being hardened and the devil is deceiving you and getting, because the devil tries to, how many of y'all know the devil's a liar? He, he's a liar, and he's the father of all lies, right? And so he's constantly lying. He's constantly making accusation against the brothers. He's trying to convince us that we're not everything that we could be, that we're nobody, that we're nothing, that we're defeated, that we're terrible. And when we open up our mouths and encourage one another, it gives us the power to not fall for his tricks. And listen, it has nothing to do with your giftedness. Oh, I don't have the gift of encouragement, man. I I got the gift of prophecy, and I got the gift of administration, and I got the gift of miracles. I don't have that gift of encouragement. Baloney. He says, everybody's involved in this. This has nothing to do with gifting. This has to do with anointing. You are anointed, you are designated, you are appointed by God to open up your mouth. Well, you don't know me, I'm kind of quiet. Open up your mouth. There are people around you that are being hardened to sin, that are being trapped in sin and being told lies by the enemy. And it is when you open your mouth and you're assigned to them. So if you're not in the right place and you don't fulfill your assignment... They're not filled with courage. They're discouraged. Are you on assignment? Have you allowed this anointing to operate in you? It's a fictional piece. It was written in 1976. Fictional but powerful. It was written by Elizabeth Ballard. It's a story about a school teacher, a fifth grade school teacher by the name of Jean Thompson. Jean started off this year like she'd started off every year of her teaching profession. She stood in front of her fifth grade class and she made a statement that she knew was a lie to them, but she said it, she'd always say it anyway. She would say to them, I'm going to treat you all the same and I'm going to love you all the same. This particular year she knew more than ever it was a lie because sitting three rows back, there was this little boy who was slumped in his seat, sullen, grumpy, named Teddy. Mrs. Thompson had watched the year before uh, as the fourth graders went through the school year. She's teaching fifth grade. She had watched and knowing she would inherit those children and she had noticed that Teddy didn't play well with the other students, that, that his clothes were often wrinkled and that more times than not he showed up at school badly needing a bath. So she stood at the front of her room and said, I'm going to treat you all the same. I'm going to love you all the same. But as the months progressed in her classroom, unbeknownst to anybody, and she didn't want to admit this, but she actually began to take joy, just a little bit of joy, in putting the big red X and the big F on his paper. Well, at this school, Mrs. Thompson, like all the other teachers, were required to go back and read the school history and report on each student. Over the course of those first couple of months, she had read all the reports about all the other children, but she kept putting Teddy's off until one day she realized, I'm just going to have to do it. I'm going to have to read the, story, this, the, the history about this little boy that I don't like and nobody else likes. So she began to read, and she was in for a huge surprise. 
Teddy's first grade teacher had written about him. Teddy is a bright, inquisitive child with a ready laugh. He does work neatly and has good manners. He is a joy to be around. His second grade teacher wrote this. Teddy is an excellent student and is well liked by his classmates, but he is troubled because his mother has a terminal illness and life at home must be a struggle. His third grade teacher had written this. Teddy continues to work hard. But his mother's death has been hard on him. He tries to do his best, but his father doesn't show much interest, and his home life will soon affect him if some steps aren't taken. His fourth grade teacher had recorded this. Teddy is withdrawn. He doesn't show much interest in school. He doesn't have many friends. And sometimes he sleeps in class. He is tardy, and he could become a problem. Miss Thompson recognized what the problem was and began to think about it. And they had come into the season just before the Christmas break where all the children, as was their tradition, would one by one line up and bring Miss Thompson a Christmas gift. This was the day. On this day, all these children showed up and one by one they approached her desk and they would lay their shiny ribbon-clad, beautiful paper-wrapped gifts and she would open them. And that was the process, one by one, until finally Teddy approached her desk and his gift wasn't wrapped like that. His gift was wrapped in a cut-up grocery bag. The children began to snicker and she hushed them and in front of everybody she opened up the gift and as she saw the gift and the children saw the gift, they began to laugh and she made them quiet and quiet down and she pulled out uh, a rhinestone bracelet with most of the stones missing and a, a bottle of perfume that was only about a quarter full. She made a big deal over the bracelet, and she commented how beautiful it was, and she put it on, and she took that perfume, and she got a little dab on her finger and put a little bit behind her ear and a little bit on her wrist. And at the end of the day, the children exited the room all loud and joyful, except for Teddy. Teddy hung out just a few moments, and he walked up to Miss Thompson, and this is what he said. He said, Miss Thompson... Today you smelled just like my mom used to smell. And after an hour kneeling at her desk crying, she made up her mind she was going to pay special attention to Teddy. As she worked with him, his mind seemed to become alive, and the more she encouraged him, the faster he responded. And on the days when they had the hardest tests, she would put a little perfume on before she came to school. Teddy began to excel, and by the end of the year, Teddy had become one of the smartest children. He'd become the pet of the teacher who said she would love them all equally. School ended. She found a little note stuck up under her door a year later, and it was from Teddy, and he said, of all the teachers I've had in elementary school, you're my favorite. Six years later, she gets another note from Teddy. He had just finished high school third in his class, and she received a little note under her door that said, you're still my all-time favorite teacher. Four years after that, she got another letter saying that while things had been tough at times, that he'd stayed in school and it, that he would graduate from college with highest honors, and he assured Miss Thompson, you're still my favorite teacher. Four years passed. She received a note in the mail this time he explained that he'd gotten his bachelor's degree and he decided to go a little bit further. He told her that he, she was still his favorite teacher, but this time when he signed it, he signed it a little bit different. He signed it Theodore F. Stallard, M.D. But the story doesn't end there. There was another letter that was 
that arrived in spring. Teddy said that he had met a girl and he was about to get married. He explained that his father died a couple years ahead of that and he was wondering if Miss Thompson might agree to sit in the pew that was usually reserved for the mother of the groom. Fictional story, real life implications. How many of us, because of the wrinkles in the dirt and the snarl on their face, walk past Teddy's every day? How many of us are assigned to a Teddy at work that nobody else likes and that nobody can stand, but we don't know the backstory? And all they really need is somebody to step up and speak one word of encouragement, and it changes their whole life. How many of us at school, how many of us at college, how many of us in our neighborhood, how many of us in this church walk past people that are totally discouraged, and we miss our assignment, and we miss our appointment? How many of us go through a drive through to someone who thinks I'm in a dead-end job, and I'm 40 years old and I'm still flipping hamburgers because it's the only job I can find. And we're so concerned about getting our hamburger right that we forget that we are anointed to encourage someone and pour life into them. Who is your teddy? Who are you assigned to look past the failure and the dirt on their life and speak life and courage and hope into them? Until we step up and become friends that will encourage, they will remain devoid of courage. That's why this is Friend Day. Many of you that are here on a regular basis invited people to come with you today. You know why? Because you wanted to be a good friend and you wanted to encourage them. Can you think about this a moment? Of all the people they could have invited, they invited you. You ought to feel special today because you are special. It was their way of encouraging you and speaking life into you that they believe in you. They think you're worth the effort. But there's another reason they asked you because if you don't know Jesus, they invited you to join us on this day because they recognize about themselves that the best thing about them is Jesus. The best thing any of us in this room that call this place our home church have ever encountered, experienced, or ever will is Jesus. And for some of you, the reason they invited you was because they thought, well, maybe I'm not sure they know Jesus or not, or maybe they know you haven't had a re established a relationship with Jesus, and they want to encourage you, to push you to get to know him. It's the best thing that you will ever find or experience in life. It will answer all your questions. It will plant you in a body of people that love you and that encourage you. I want you to close your eyes with me this morning. And before I pray, you need to understand that in this house, we do not believe in embarrassing you. We will not make you jump through hoops. We just want to share Jesus with you. It's the best thing. It's the best gift we can ever give you is to know Jesus. And so we simply ask you to do what we're going to ask you to do so that we can pray intelligently and so that we can put materials in your hand. We will not embarrass you. We all went through this process at some point. If you're here and you do not know Jesus, you have not established relationship with him, 
You have not made him your best friend. The Bible says that he's the best friend. He sticks closer than any brother. He will never let you down. He will never forsake you. He will never disappoint you. But you know you haven't established him as the king and the Lord of your life. We want to encourage you today. If that's you, without embarrassing you, would you just raise your hand? You can pull it right back down. Just stick it straight up and pull it right back down. One, two, anybody else that would say, I desperately need Jesus in my life. The exchange is simple. The Bible very clearly states it like this. All we have to do to get to know Jesus is this. We acknowledge our own sin. We admit, I'm a sinner. Then we put our faith in this fact. Jesus came. He died on a cross. He rose again on the third day. And when I acknowledge my own sin and acknowledge the sacrifice and the price that he paid, and I believe in him as Lord and Savior, at that moment, whether I feel any different or not, he establishes himself in our life as king. Let's do that together. Jesus, this morning we acknowledge our own sin. We're all sinners. We're all saved by grace. We don't deserve to be saved. We are sinners. We don't have the necessary righteousness, the the necessary holiness, the necessary cleanness to get to God. That's why, Jesus, we also acknowledge that you came to be the only way to the Father, the door, the truth, the way. If you hadn't provided a way, we would have never been able to approach the Father. That's why we're thankful that you came and died on a cross, shed your blood for us, loved us so much that you laid down your life. They didn't take it from you. You laid it down. You willingly gave your life for us so that we could be saved, so that we could be sons and daughters of God so that right relationship would be established. We acknowledge that you did that. We acknowledge that you came to life on the third day and that now you sit in the heavenlies with the Father praying for us. That's how much you care about us. It wasn't just enough to die for us. Now you pray for us all the time. And we thank you for that. We confess our sin. We place our faith in you. And we, according to your word, in this moment are saved. And things around us might might not seem to change. And the way we feel may not change. But that does not impact the reality of what just took place. Because what just took place is a spiritual exchange. And we thank you today that now, because we have claimed you as our Savior, made you our King, established your Lordship in our life, and turned our lives over to you, at this moment, we are the children of God. We live under a different rule, a different reign. We have established relationship with you, Jesus. So now we have established relationship with a good, good Father. And we thank you for that. So, Father, we encourage one another in the Lord. Father, I pray for this body of believers. And I ask you to appoint us and anoint us at a greater level for encouragement. God, I pray that we would recognize that we are on an assignment. And I pray that we would not be so busy in life that we miss the opportunity to open up our mouths and pour life into people. And Father, I know that gets uncomfortable sometimes. But I pray that you'd help us to do that so that we can keep each other from sinning. Father, I pray that we'd operate in that today. Pull us out of our comfort zones. 
And let us minister life to one another today, I pray in Jesus' name. This is how we're going to close. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning that will make some of you uncomfortable because we're not trained very well in this because we don't do it enough. But we need to practice encouraging. Don't flatter. Oh, you got the cutest little boots on today. Flattery. Oh, your hair looks awful nice today. Flattery. We want to speak to who they are and who they can be. That's encouragement. So I'm going to ask you over the course of the next minute before Pastor Danny comes and closes us out. If you came and you invited a friend, I want you to take a moment and encourage them. If you got here and you don't have a friend with you, maybe you need to find a friend this morning. There's people here that will be your friend. You may have to move. But God sent you here to encourage somebody and speak strength into somebody that were about to give up. But you stepped in. Would you take a moment and find somebody this morning and just encourage them in the Lord? Come on, do it. I know it's uncomfortable, but do it anyway. It'll be good for you. It's practice. You're in a- it's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.